touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Last night and uh, and this morning were a little bit boring. I don't know about you. I I had nothing to do. We had no Brewer game to watch. Not much in the NFL. Packers continuing training camp, continuing practices, but no preseason game to talk about. Just not a whole lot going on last night. We are able to to sift through the NBA schedule release, but it's not like that's a fun game we can sit down and watch, right? This is going to be a huge week, although yesterday it got off to a slow start. No Brewer game, no Packer game. This is going to be a huge week for Wisconsin sports, and that's what we focus on here on the Wisco Sports Show. The Brewers tonight start a huge two-game set with the Minnesota Twins. It's huge for the Brewers. It's huge for the Twins. It should certainly be a very, very competitive little mini two-game series at Miller Park. That starts tonight. We'll talk about that today. Uh, The Quintez Cephas storyline, I don't want to call it drama. I don't want to call it controversy. We'll just call it a storyline, continues to unfold. We'll talk about that. Badgers camp rolls on, and the quarterback competition continues. Spoiler alert, I really don't think it is a competition, and I think we're going to hear much of the same when we talk to Zach Heilprin from The Zone, uh, our sister station from Madison, coming up at 5.30. We'll talk a little Badgers football, which is everything from Jack Cohen and, and Graham Mertz to Jonathan Taylor, but also what is developing with Quintez Cephas. Is he going to be able to get back on the team, back into school? Lots of different storylines around this team right now. We'll talk to Zach Halpern coming up at 5.30. And then the Packers have another preseason game this week coming up on Thursday. They're going to play the Ravens, and it sounds like a lot of starters are going to play. Week two of the preseason, you typically see more starters. It sounds like we're going to see most of them for the Packers, and we'll talk about that today as well. A huge week. A lot to talk about, a huge show today. I, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for hanging out. My name is Grant Bills, your host. This is the Wisco Sports Show, and it's presented by Play It Again Sports. Um, if you want to join in on the show, you can give me a call or just a text. Works too, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. Let's start with the Packers. Why don't we? We'll finish with the Brewers today. We'll, we'll bump up right uh, right against the, the pregame show. It'll start a little bit after 6. We'll talk to Zach Heilprin with Badgers Football, like I said, at 530. Let's start... Uh, with the Packers. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Packers preseason, right? We've been talking about, well, how much Darren Rodgers play? What are we going to see differently from Matt LaFleur and, and the way he is coaching, the way he is organizing training camp in a preseason in comparison to Mike McCarthy, right? This is something we had to go through in a while. It's been a while since there's been a new coach in Green Bay who has done things differently and made big changes. And Matt LaFleur so far has certainly done that. It looks like it's going to continue We've talked about, should they play the starters? What about the joint practices? Everything that has changed, everything that is going differently, we've talked about. I didn't expect starters to play much in the preseason for the Packers. I actually thought, and my hunch was, that we were going to see starters less under Matt LaFleur than we originally did under Mike McCarthy. Even though there's a brand new offensive system, even though there's there's new free agents on the defensive side, new offensive coordinator, new special teams coach. If there was ever a reason, if there were ever a season for the Packers starters to play a lot in the preseason, it would be 2019, it would be right now. But I just, I didn't buy it for a couple of reasons. I didn't expect it for a couple of reasons. Now, Matt LaFleur comes from the the Kubiak-Shanahan tree. And, and I talking about coaching trees is so corny, but you kind of have to do it. As did Kyle Shanahan, as did Sean McVay. Of course, Sean McVay uh, with the Rams. 
and Shanahan with the 49ers. And, and just looking at Sean McVay, because he is the the big talking point uh, for new this new wave of coaching, this new offensive-minded uh, coaching wave in the NFL. Everybody looks to Sean McVay. Sean McVay doesn't play anybody in the preseason, or at least he didn't last year. Jared Goff didn't play. Best players didn't play. He said, we're not risking injury. We're not running them out there. Instead, what the Rams do is they do joint practices, like we saw Matt LaFleur Institute just a couple of weeks ago, right? Just last week with the Texans. We can play our starters in a joint practice. They can see live competition against a different team, against different players, but we, we can do it in a manner that's controllable, right? LaFleur or, or Sean McVay or fill in the blank with any coach says, okay, well, Aaron Rodgers needs to get some reps. He needs to get some snaps in this new system. Needs to get some experience with a new play caller and, and, and with new teammates and, and new alignments, all that. But instead of risking his health in a preseason game, why don't we just do it in a joint practice? Now, there still might be some big hits, might be a dirty play here or there, but it's going to be less and it's going to be more controllable in a joint practice. And that's what we saw last week with the Houston Texans. I thought that was going to be Matt LaFleur's line of thinking, just like we have seen with Sean McVay. Not at all. Aaron Rodgers, it sounds like he's going to play, not only play on Thursday, but play for a good portion, if not the entirety of the first quarter. And I guess it makes sense. Like I said, if there ever was a preseason for Aaron Rodgers to play and, and starters to play, it would be this one, right? New head coach, new offensive coordinator, new special teams coordinator, uh, same defensive coordinator in Mike Pettin, but a lot of new presumed starters, two edge rushers, right? A safety, a second safety, if you count the draft pick Darnell Savage, right? There's new players all over the board. And of course, you're without Mike Daniels. So everybody up front is, is getting used to a slightly different, slightly altered role. There's a lot of reason for players to play in the preseason, even Aaron Rodgers. Okay, the more we read and the more that we're told about the way Matt LaFleur is setting up this offense, there's a couple of big pieces, a couple of new wrinkles to this offense that didn't exist under Mike McCarthy, right? What do we keep hearing about? We hear about pre-snap movement. Now, Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers didn't have a lot of pre-snap movement because this gave Aaron Rodgers the opportunity to look at the defense while it was sitting there. Because if the offense is sitting still, the defense, for the most part, is going to sit still, and that gives Aaron Rodgers a great opportunity to get a good look to get a good long look, right, at how everybody's lined up and, and try to think of a, a course of action to attack that stationary defense. It's a lot harder to identify and, and to pick out things on a defense that's moving. But Matt LaFleur wants there to be pre-snap movement, wants receivers, running backs to be shifting, flying all over the field. Aaron Rodgers has to get used to that. And one of the biggest changes that I don't think is being talked about enough is where Aaron Rodgers is actually going to line up himself. Not where the running backs will line up or how, how the wide receivers will move before the snap but how Aaron Rodgers actually lines up. Because under Mike McCarthy, and, and some of it was necessity due to injury, but under Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers lined up in, in the shotgun a lot. It, at times, it felt almost exclusive. Aaron Rodgers wanted to operate under the shotgun. And I think there are advantages to that. You line up under center, and you, you, you go with a play fake, or you turn and roll. Aaron Rodgers would need to turn his back to the defense, right? And I think that's going to be a big point of adjustment for Aaron Rodgers. Lining up more under center, like we saw Mariota and Matt Ryan in Matt LaFleur's previous stops. Matt Ryan has talked about it. It's been written about how it was an adjustment when Matt LaFleur got to Atlanta. And well, now Matt Ryan's got to line up under center, and there's this split second at the beginning of an offensive play where the quarterback takes a snap right from under center and has to step back, has to create space. And if there is a play-action fake, like a fake handoff or a rollout, there's a small snapshot of time where the quarterback has to turn his back to the defense. That's a big adjustment. If you're not used to that, and Aaron Rodgers is not, 
that's something that you need to get used to. It's a it's a trust factor, right? There's a certain trust that you need to fully embrace your offense, embrace your play caller, embrace your offensive line, your running backs, to take that leap of faith and say, okay, I'm okay lining up under center and turning my back to the defense for a split second. And that's an adjustment Aaron Rodgers is going to have to make. And I think that's a big reason why he's going to play in, apparently, almost an entire quarter coming up this Thursday. A lot of pre-snap movement, which is going to be certainly a change for Aaron Rodgers and for the entire offense. I don't mean to just focus on the quarterback. And Aaron Rodgers is going to have to line up under center, which is something he didn't do under McCarthy, especially recently with injuries. And I think part of that was just preference, too. Mike McCarthy wanted Aaron Rodgers in the shotgun. Aaron Rodgers wanted to be in the shotgun, and now he's going to be lining up under center a good portion of these plays. A lot of adjustments to make. It makes sense for Aaron Rodgers. It makes sense for these starters to play in Baltimore uh, in the second preseason game coming up on Thursday night. I'm excited. I'm going to watch. Of course, you hold your breath to avoid injuries, right? You you hold your breath until Aaron Rodgers is off the field and until Aaron Jones is off the field because we don't have to think back very far at all to remember when Jordy Nelson on a non-contact injury just popped his knee, blew out his knee in a preseason game. We're not very far removed from that. I don't think uh, I don't think Packers fans have forgotten. It'll be a, a good day when we can hear the the final whistle on Thursday and the clock hits zero. And hopefully, knock on wood, there are no injuries uh, sustained by the Green Bay Packers. We have a ton to get to today. We can't waste time. Zach Heilprin, we're going to talk Badgers at thir- uh, five thirty. Uh, Brewers Twins at five forty five. I want to continue to talk about the preseason. Continue to talk about the Packers game coming up on Thursday. And I'd love to hear from you as well because this can be a polarizing topic: should starters play or shouldn't they play, and why? I'd like to hear from you, 608-796-2558. Give me a call or a text on the five-star telecom talk and text line. When we come back, Packers preseason talk, riveting, I know, right? Starters are going to play on Thursday. Let's break it down. This is the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Against Sports, right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant. Thanks for hanging out. We're talking Green Bay Packers. They got another preseason game on Thursday. I know it it feels like just yesterday we had to suffer through their first preseason game. This one should be a lot better. It sounds like a lot of the starters are going to play, including Aaron Rodgers. And that can get people a little bit uh, fired up hearing that number 12, uh, the $30 million man, is going to be out there risking injury in games that don't matter. Or maybe... You have the opposite opinion. Maybe you think it's about damn time he gets out there and works for his paycheck and gets out there and learns an offense before week four, right? Everybody's got a different opinion, and if you want to share yours, I'd love to have you. 608-796-2558 on the five-star telecom talking text line. You can also tweet at us. I love Twitter. I don't think we use Twitter enough on this show. You can find me at Keystroker Grant or all of us at WKTY. Four letters, uh, easy enough, right? It was reported uh, earlier today by just NFL media, by the NFL, uh, and uh, around the NFL's writer Kevin Patra, Patra, uh, I'm sorry for probably mispronouncing that, Aaron Rodgers to play, quote, a quarter or so, unquote, at Ravens. So that's the metric we're looking at. That's the time frame we're looking at. A quarter or so, meaning a couple series tops, unless something changes, right? Matt LaFleur could just be pulling our leg. Maybe Aaron Rodgers doesn't play at all. I don't know what the... What the? I don't know what the benefit to that lie, to that fib would be, but you, you never know. Things could change before Thursday night. It, it sounds like the starters, both on offense and a lot of them on defense, it's not just about Aaron Rodgers. We, we focus on the quarterback, and, and rightfully so, but you forget all the different pieces 
on this Packers offense who are here the last couple of years or even longer, who are going to have to acclimate to a new offensive system, a new play caller, a new offensive coordinator, a new head coach, right? Guys like Devontae Adams and Geronimo Allison, who's been around longer than most of us would, would probably first think. Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, David Bakhtiari, that entire offensive line, right? Now, most of the new tight ends have been brought in in the last year or so. That's not going to be as big of an issue. But it's not just about Aaron Rodgers who has to adjust. There's a lot of players on this offense and on the defense as well. A lot of free agents, a lot of draft picks that they expect to contribute this year. There's a lot of reason for a lot of starters to play coming up on Thursday night for, quote, a quarter or so. That's the timetable we're looking at, okay? Now, I really like this NFL article, and if you want to if you want to find it, just Google Aaron Rodgers preseason. It's the first article that comes up, right? I'll tweet it out at WKTY as well. It's rather short, but it's concise. It's to the point, which I like. Rodgers didn't play in the preseason opener, and, and it sounds like Matt LaFleur really wants to get him going uh, and get him working the offense against live bodies, not in a, uh, a joint practice, and we've all heard how Aaron Rodgers feels about joint practice. And by joint practice, I don't mean smoking a joint. I mean playing against another team, the Houston Texans, if if you uh, are just joining us. This is Aaron Rodgers' history through the preseason. I really like this article because it provides it, and it puts it into a good piece of perspective. The last four years, so the last four years of, of Mike McCarthy, this is what Aaron Rodgers' preseason experience looks like. Last year, 2018, it was just one game. It was week two, it was one series, he went two of four, and he threw for a touchdown. That was it. In 2017, he played in two games, week two and week three. Week two, only one series, through eight passes. Week three, he played two series. That's the, the game where you typically see starters play the most, that third week. That's like the dress rehearsal, right? And then they typically get that fourth game off. He played two series, through five passes. So it's not like his workload got ramped up big time, but... He was in there for two series instead of one. Only played uh, two series in one game uh, in 2016. In 2015, he played th- three series the first quarter of week one. That was it. Uh, and a little bit in week two as well. So about a quarter or two, if two, the last couple of years, Aaron Rodgers really hasn't had a lot of preseason reps. And it's been a big point of contention this time of year when I listen to the Bill Michaels show or when I read on Twitter or Facebook what our listeners and what our commenters and followers have to say. In the past, under Mike McCarthy specifically, preseason was emphasized and discussed because it was about the Packers avoiding those slow starts, right? Oh, we don't want to see the the offense be sluggish to start the year. We don't want to see Aaron Rodgers look like he's stuck in the mud and have no chemistry, right? No connection with his wide receivers or his play caller to start the year. We want to avoid the sluggishness. We want to avoid the, the slow starts, right? That's what it has been about in the past. Now, this year, in the fall of 2019, it's not, the emphasis isn't avoiding a slow start. It's Aaron Rodgers needs to know the system. He needs to smoothly be able to operate it, be able to communicate and and have that rapport with his head coach and with his play caller, his offensive coordinator, his quarterback's coach, right? Like like we talked about in the first segment, if you missed it, under Matt LaFleur, there's going to be a couple of changes. There's going to be a lot of pre-snap movement, which McCarthy really didn't care for. He liked that defense to be stationary. Well, Matt LaFleur wants that defense to be moving. He wants to get those cornerbacks shifting, those linebackers shifting. Maybe Aaron Rodgers sees something and, and, and is able to exploit it, right? But that's going to be an adjustment for Aaron Rodgers. He's also going to probably be lining up a lot more under center. One, because he's healthy. But two, we have seen Matt LaFleur, wherever he's been, in Atlanta, and obviously previously now, in uh, most recently in, in Tennessee with Marcus Mariota, he's 
lined up his quarterbacks a lot under center. And Matt Ryan had a difficult time adjusting to that. And that's been written about. That's been reported. He's going to have to get used to pre-snap movement. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to get used to lining up under center in different positions. And I'm sure he'll line up in the shotgun some as well. But a big percentage of what Matt LaFleur has done as a play caller has been with a quarterback under center. That means at some point, the quarterback's going to have to turn the back to the play, turn his back to the defense. That's something Aaron Rodgers is going to have to adjust. It's not about avoiding a slow start this year in 2019. Aaron Rodgers is not going to play in the preseason to build chemistry with his wide receivers or to get a connection or to avoid a slow start in week one. He's doing it kind of because he has to. Or it certainly is in his best interest and the team's best interest. It's about a new system. It's not about avoiding a slow start. And honestly, in previous years, I never got caught up in the sluggish start debate. I never really had a strong opinion because callers to the Bill Michaels show or to mornings with Dave and Scrady here on WKTY, or I'd see it on Facebook or Instagram. Aaron Rodgers needs to play because we can't go one and three, because we can't go one and two. We can't have a sluggish start, right? Need to get need to hit the ground running. Do you? Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not implying that it would be better for the Packers to lose right out the gate. Of course not. Winning is always better than losing. There's only 17 weeks in the regular season, 16 games. Every one is meaningful. But I never bought into the sluggish argument. I never bought into the can't start slow argument because I, I think in previous memory and in previous history for the Packers, their two most successful seasons in the last two decades, or in the, the last decade, excuse me, their, their two most impressive seasons were marred by injuries adversity, struggles on offense, struggles on defense, and I think it was due to that struggle that they were able to play so well by the end of the season. Of course, 2010, when they put a record number of players on injured reserve, and they lost in overtime in back-to-back weeks to the Dolphins, and what was the other team? To to Washington? Back-to-back overtime losses. And they ended up winning the Super Bowl! Because I think adversity, I think struggle and, and, uh, and issues overall build a stronger team. I think you need to, to to face a little adversity and maybe go through a couple of injuries and a couple of tough losses to be a better team when it matters, which is week 14, 15, 16, and beyond into the playoffs. 2014 is another great example, the R-E-L-A-X year. Packers started slow, started sluggish, barely beat the Jets at home, right? They had the, needed that big comeback. And Aaron Rodgers just said, hey, we got to relax, okay? We're three, four weeks into the season. And I think a lot of that adversity, that slow start, led to a team that was purring by the middle of the season. Remember that that game against the Patriots in Lambeau, which would have been the weekend after Thanksgiving, right when the season starts to get important. That's when the Packers started humming. Not in week one, two, three, but in the middle of the season and into the playoffs where they ultimately should have made the Super Bowl uh, had it not been for just a, a miserable breakdown in the NFC Championship game. I think 2010 and 2014 are, are great reminders and indicators that A slow start isn't always the worst thing in the world. Right? The the Packers could go one and one and one, one and two out of the gate, and they could be fine by the end of the season. I think adversity helps. I think you gotta get you gotta be battle tested, right? That's the cliche that I'm sure we're gonna hear from just about every high school football coach in a couple of weeks when we start doing interviews and we start doing games. And if there are any high school football players listening right now, they're saying, Oh yeah, God, coach talks about that all the time. Gotta be battle tested, gotta face adversity, right? I think it's true. Think of, think of the New England Patriots. Every single season, we're dragging them after the first month because they're 2-2. Two and two. Oh, is this the year that they finally lost it? Is this the year where the Dolphins are finally going to break through? Is this the year where the Jets are finally going to become something? And what happens? The Patriots adjust. They make a tweak here and there. They make a trade. And by the end of the season, they're purring. 
They're playing their best ball, and they're heading into the playoffs healthy and with a lot of momentum. That's the Patriots. That's the gold standard in the NFL, right? I'm not concerned about starting fast. I'm concerned about starting right. Got to know the got to know the plays. Got to know the system. But I'm concerned about finishing strong. I think that's much more important. And I'm I'm not really afraid of the Packers going one and one out of the gate, one and two out of the gate, because we've seen the Patriots year after year have everybody quitting on them after a month, only to turn around after an adjustment or two, a tweak or two, and, and be playing their best football of the year at the right time, which is ultimately the goal. Right? I don't get caught up in the preseason too much. Thursday is about staying healthy. And it's about kind of getting through the routine. How is Aaron Rodgers going to prep for a game with Matt LaFleur? How are they going to interact on the sideline? How is everything going to work? It's logistics. Stay healthy and get in tune with the logistics so we can get to the regular season uh, and and be there when it counts, right? That's preseason. Uh, That game will be here on WKTY. We will not be on the air Thursday. I will not be on the air Thursday because Packers pregame is going to start right early. I believe it might even be 4 o'clock because they're playing in Baltimore. So it it might even be uh, earlier. I'll check that. Uh, and I'll make sure we have that right before uh, before Thursday. And, you, of course, you can also check the schedule at WKTYsports.com because I never know what's going on. Coming up next, we're going to talk to somebody who knows much more about I, about the Wisconsin Badgers. That's Zach Heilpern from our sister station, The Zone, in Madison. We're going to talk about spring camp, fall ball, the quarterbacks, the running backs, Quintez Sivas. we got a lot to get to, and I am excited. Zach Heilpern coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. <laughs> Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for being here. Don't forget, you can always listen at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app as well. Lots of ways to listen, whatever you're doing. We're talking Badgers football, and it's been a while since we've talked Badgers football with uh, with one of my favorite guests. Talked Badgers at all uh, with one of my favorite guests, and that's Zach Heilprin from The Zone, our sister station in Madison. Now, Zach, we talked to Ebo Oh, geez, two or three weeks ago. I've been excited to get you back on. Uh, what's been up? I, I see you've been all over the country, all over the state, covering just about everything. You work hard, man. <laughs> it's football season, don't we all? I mean, it's uh, it's about that time yeah, you're... where everything starts happening. And, yeah, Green Bay, Madison, soon to be, you know, Tampa. Be all over the place. Yeah, you've been at practices. You've been at press conferences. And, of course, you cover everything for the zone, not just uh, not just the Badgers. I, I, I got to ask you, as a reporter who, who covers just about every storyline uh, with the Badgers, what do you think is the most important storyline with this team right now? And, and we'll get into all of them, hopefully, individually. But what do you think is most important? What should fans be dialed in on the most right now? Are we talking the team or are you talking – Overall, I mean, what are we? Well, there's, well, there's, there's some off the field stuff as well. Yeah, that, there's that's happening. That, yeah. There's on the field storylines. There's off the field storylines. You take yeah. your pick. All right. Well, I think you know, start on the field because I think some people maybe are tired of the off the field stuff. Sure. But, uh On the field, you know, it's the quarterback, I guess, battle. And coming into it, I thought it was going to be a two person battle. I thought it was, I thought it was going to be a real battle for the starting job between Jack Cohn and Grant Mertz. And what has played out here over the 11 practices, including the five that we've gotten to see, is not a battle for the starting quarterback job, but a battle for the backup job between Graham Mertz and Chase Wolf. Jack Cohen has taken over um, and really grabbed the uh, the starting job by uh, by the horn. I mean, he's he's been the guy throughout. He's taken uh, well over 60% of the reps with the first team and uh, left the uh, remaining 40 for Graham and Chase to fight over. And um, you know, right now it'd be hard pressed to see anybody other than him starting a quarterback against uh, South Florida in a couple weeks here. And so I think that to me is 
probably the biggest surprise for a lot of people, and uh, it has been for me myself so far. I, I've I, and I ask. We've talked about it as a competition or as a controversy. The more I read. Uh, And the more that I listen to, you know, I just read I was reading Jesse Temple's work with The Athletic and I keep up to what you guys Mm -hmm. do with the zone. It's it's not really a competition. Uh, I was reading about the practice on Monday where there was like over 100 plays ran and and Jack Cohen was the guy. How does he look in comparison to last year? Because a big storyline that I read about was they really sat down with Jack Cohen and looked at just about everything from last year, ways to improve, ways to get better. It, it seems like the team has just kind of embraced him as the starter, whereas the outside world has just kind of assumed that it's been Graham Mertz, and that hasn't been the case. Right, yeah, no, it hasn't, it hasn't been at all. And I, I, I think that, and this is kind of bleeding into the, I guess, off-the-field story, but I think the, the biggest thing you can point to um, is the team has um, pointed to him as a leader. He was one of the seven guys that sent that letter to Bucky uh, to Becky Blank, the UW Chancellor, uh, in you know pleading for Quintez Sevis to be uh, brought back uh, and be allowed be reinstated and you know be allowed to play football again. He was the guy, the you know he was the guy at the press conference yesterday, um, you know on offense. I mean him and Jonathan Taylor, they were the two big faces uh, there for the offensive side of the ball. So I mean that to me speaks. They view him as a leader, and I think that that's certainly been the case on the field. He just seems more comfortable. And, you know, it's tough because they're not doing a ton of one-on-ones. You know, he always, what is it, iron sharpens iron. Like, I've yeah. heard that crap from uh, Matt LaFleur a little <laughs> bit uh, where they where they want to see their, their ones-on-ones. We don't see a ton of that with Wisconsin, especially in that 100-play scrimmage that uh, you mentioned earlier. So uh, a lot of it is against the second team. But I will say this, the secondary for Wisconsin, their second-team secondary, played a lot of snaps last year because of injuries. So he's facing guys that are experienced and, um, you know, I think his, him and his wide receiver group have, have uh, done fantastic. And, you know, in, in talking about things that we haven't seen before, uh, I'll, and, I'm, and Jesse may have mentioned it, I haven't had a chance to read this thing, but we saw a, a wheel route to Jonathan Taylor. They're involving Jonathan Taylor in the, in the, uh, the pass game, and Jack Cohn just dropped a perfect wheel route right on him for a 20-yard touchdown. So these are uh, – it's, it's an interesting um, – it's been an interesting few weeks here uh, in Madison seeing him take control of this job. And it's, to me – not even close. Even even if Wisconsin doesn't want to name a starter, it's it's not really close right now. Sure, and I think that will be to the surprise of many who maybe don't follow the team closely when the season starts, who have just kind of assumed that, that Graham Mertz is going to be that guy all along. Zach Heilprin uh, from the Zone in Madison joining us for a minute or two on the on the Five Star Telecom talking text line. We, we have to talk about Quintez Cephas, and it's a subject that I've tried to tread lightly, and I think with with good reason. I got to ask you because you are a reporter for the most part. You report things I, I don't know how many opinions you give I listen to Joe and Ebo in the morning and obviously you join them a little bit I, I sit here and for the most part I, I give my opinions I, I want to ask you if yeah. you were Quintez Cephas in his camp if you were UW Madison and, and their administration and their football leadership how would you handle this situation if you were on both sides how would you approach trying to get Quintez back onto the team or if you were UW Madison would you want him back on the team yeah, I mean, that's a difficult question to answer. I think the uh, Quintez Sivas' folks are handling it the way that um, probably someone in his position should. Uh, he feels wronged. He feels that he's been, and I, I guess I don't totally disagree with that. Sure. Um, his people feel like he's been, been wronged, feel like he's had a year taken away from him. He's had his potentially multi-million dollar career put in jeopardy, and now they're they're trying to force the issue. They want him back in there. UW on the other side is is uh, slow playing and trying to check all the boxes and 
you know, bureaucracy at its best, I guess you would say, or maybe it's worse, depending on which way you view it. Um, I'd probably say worse, uh, and, you know, and things uh, taking forever to develop. But, you know, um, I, I really I can't tell you how uh, Wisconsin should um, should handle it. I, I don't know. I, I think that they're going to uh, let this play out as in however they if they want to to um, take a while and get past this three week period where uh, the the semester will start and he won't be able to be uh, be in there. Uh, I could see them doing that, but if Quintus Cephas wants to force the hand, just keep on keep on going, which I think he will end up doing because without you know with without not going through this process, he potentially loses uh, some. Uh, some leverage in terms of his civil case, which could always be uh, refiled. So, I, I, again, I don't think this situation is going away anytime soon, and um, we could be talking about this into November and December. Sure. Well, as much as the legal side is there, and there's definitely, as you said, there was even a civil suit that I think was dropped, and you said that he could bring it back. I, let's look at it through the lens of a, of football, right? Quintez Cephas, I was talking with a friend the other day, and I think we're were two years removed and people forgotten. Quintez Cephas was by far and away their best receiver and a leader in a really young group. And I think perception over the last year has been, yeah, he was good, but was he that good? I mean, I, I had to look it up. He had 500 plus yards and six touchdowns in, in 2017. He missed five games. What would yeah. it, what would be his impact if he were to come back and rejoin the team? Would it make a huge difference in your mind or would he just be another piece in that rotation of of pretty good young receivers right now? By far and away, uh, that's not. I guess that's not completely fair to these guys. But um, sure. he's he is their best. He was their best wide receiver. He was Al Turnerberg's top target. I think we kind of got a little bit lost to the fact of how important he was because we saw down the stretch in 2017 them play so well without him, and in the bowl game in the Orange Bowl uh, play so well without him. But we saw in the spring after he was healthy make some plays that none of these other guys can. We saw him run with the first team last fall camp. He was going to be the guy. And when they lost him, they lost uh, a significant chunk of their offense, and um, it certainly hurt Alex Hornibrook. Uh, it hurt the it hurt the passing game in general. And the other guys, while they played okay, uh, they're not they were not at Quintez's level. And so, if he were able to come back in, and now I think I, what people I think are missing just a little bit in terms of you know where he's been since last August, he wasn't actually uh, expelled from the university until uh, March or you know right around March, uh, meaning he was still around the team. Because he was able to use the facility, he was only suspended, so he was able to use facilities. Was still there working out. Then he, uh, once he got expelled, he spent three months working out in Arizona. So he's in uh, tip-top condition, and I think he'd be—I don't know if he'd be good to go week one, but I think you'd probably have him if, if it were to happen here in these next couple of weeks. You'd think he'd be ready by Big Ten season uh, to be able to make an impact for them. He—he's their best receiver. I haven't seen him uh, on a on a football field since November of. 2017, but I still think he's their best receiver uh, if you were to just walk into that locker room right now. And it's not just his on-the-field play. I think Paul Christ and Garrett Groshek have talked about it. He's a connector in that locker room. He can, I, I kind of refer to it as a bit of a chameleon. He can, he's comfortable in any setting. He can draw people together from, you know, southwest Wisconsin or south, you know, southern Florida, south Florida. I mean, he's, he's got that ability within a locker room to bring guys together, and they missed that last year uh, with him. So it's both on the field and off the field with him. Yeah, it sounds like he's a very valuable player and a very valuable person. A lot of the, the comments have been made about his character in the last couple of days, which I guess is, is always a good sign that they're not just dwelling on football, that there is uh, another element to this as well. Zach, you mentioned Zach, Alex Hornibrook. I wasn't going to ask about him. 
Uh, he is in Florida State now, and he made some comments and, and was getting some grief on Twitter. How did you perceive that? And that, that'll be my last question. I want to ask what you think of Alex Hornibrook, his comments that he made, and, and what he could be at, at Florida State this year as a transfer. I don't. I, I don't think he's going to be much at Florida State. Um, it, or it doesn't appear so, though. Uh, certainly, uh, I mean, they have James Blackman that has had another guy get uh, from Louisville who transferred down there get uh, immediate eligibility. So I think you know Alex is probably fighting for snaps. Uh, uh, he, I don't expect him to make a huge impact in terms of in terms of his comments. Yeah, I thought it was a shot. I, I did think it was. A sh- I think his shot uh, was at Wisconsin, uh, the receivers, and you know, in terms of. Whether it's a big deal, I don't think it's a big deal, but it was certainly noticed uh, by Wisconsin, and it wasn't just once. Like it wasn't just, yeah, these guys, you know, they never want to leave the field. I haven't been around something like that before. But he said that about the talent when he went down there uh, during his visit uh, before he had decided to go to Florida State. He said that that somewhat something similar within uh, the interview uh, a week ago. So like, it wasn't just once. He he continually did it. I think uh, Wisconsin took it. The receivers took it as a bit of a shot, and then they were ready to get past it when we asked about him this week. Uh, Kendrick Pryor said, I thought it was funny at the time, and now I'm past it. A.J. Taylor said, you know, words can be misconstrued, but he kind of found it funny as well. So, I don't know. I think that they're over it. It's kind of irrelevant at this point, but uh, it was unnecessary on Alex's part, but, you know, he's uh, he's got to do what he's got to do. Yeah, this is true. I'm excited to watch Jack Cohen. I, I've been hearing good things, and, and who knows uh, what we're going to see from this team, especially if Quintez Cephas comes back. Zach, I hope to talk to you throughout football season, and I know I know we, I we don't know if I would call it beef. You certainly didn't appreciate that I was giving Marquette love last year, so I'll tread much more oh, carefully. Oh, you don't care? Uh, you, you can give Marquette love. I mean, if uh, Badger fans you know are okay with you jumping on and off the bandwagon, that's fine. I personally... <laughs> You know, I don't care. How, you know who you want to cheer for. It's just I, I figure Wisconsin fans would would uh, appreciate you sticking on one bandwagon or the other. I'll, I'll keep that in mind this season, Zach. <laughs> and I and I always look forward to uh, to you giving me some really really good insight and good information on this Badgers team. I can't wait for college football to start, man. Thanks again. Yeah, me. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Grant. Yep. Talk to you soon, Zach. That's Zach Heilprin from the Zone, our sister station in Madison. And I will not. Okay, jumping off the bandwagon. Let, let's let's save that conversation for a different time. Can I? Can I not fairly give Marquette and the Badgers love? I don't. I don't. I don't know. I've never been in that situation in my life before. Do I? Do we have to pick one? Maybe that's a that's a discussion we'll save for another time. But I, I will strictly uh, be talking Wisconsin Badger football on this show uh, and the Big Ten conference that pertains to the Badgers. But I don't really have a, a a second team like we like we have that choice in in basketball or or I thought we had the choice. Maybe we don't. Thanks again to Zach Eilprin, uh for joining us. Brewers Twins start a big series tonight. Really meaningful for both teams. So I would imagine that you're going to get each of these teams' best shots, each of these managers' best shots. We'll talk about that coming up next and, and kind of put this series into context because it's an interleague series. It would be easy to gloss over these two games. You should not do that. We're not going to do that because these mean a lot. I'll tell you why coming up next. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for tuning in today. I I am excited for Brewers Twins tonight. It is such a meaningful two-game series, at least as meaningful as two games can be. We'll talk about that here in a minute or two. A big thanks again to Zach Heilprin. Of course, you just heard doing those uh, those Wisconsin Sports Zone updates, but for joining us for a couple of minutes on the five-star telecom talk and text line, just to 
kind of reconnect and, and to preface the season a little bit, I, I think you would be surprised if you asked casual Badger fans, casual Wisconsin fans, uh, about the quarterback situation upcoming here in just a couple of weeks. They would say, well, Graham Mertz has got to be the guy, right? Or or maybe they split time, or or, or maybe Jack Cohen starts the season and, and Graham Mertz replaces him. No, 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 no. No, no, no. In fact, the, the competition hasn't been for the one spot. The one spot, the starter has been decided. It's for the backup spot, and it sounds like Chase Wolf, not even Graham Mertz, has competed his way into the backup job. And I think a lot of people are going to be surprised when they first kind of engage, when they first put their college football hat back on and start thinking about it again for the first time all summer. They're, wow, Jack Cohen, not Graham Mertz? I think a lot of people are going to be surprised. Quintez Cephas, I, I find this storyline really interesting. As a social storyline, I'm interested to see how, how Rebecca Black and how... The UW or Rebecca Blank, excuse me, the UW Chancellor and how UW Madison handles this, right? And how the football team handles it. I think that's really interesting because you ha- you have a guy who was uh, accused of second and third degree sexual assault, found not guilty in in both counts, and now is basically saying, "What did I do wrong? I was proven guilty. Why can't I come back to school? Why can't I play football?" which I, I think is understandable from, from his stance, I'm interested to see how the school treats this situation. On the football side, I mean, Zach Heilprin just said it best. Zach saying he was their best receiver a couple of years ago. He was doing things that A.J. Taylor and Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor weren't doing. He had a connection with Alex Hornibrook that no other of those receivers were able to, to find. In 2017, he, he had 500-plus yards, caught six touchdowns, and he missed five games. He was great. He was their best receiver. And and Zach talking about with, with little hesitation, he believes that he could come back and be their best receiver by Big Ten play, by conference play. And as a lot of his teammates have said, and, and Zach echoed this, talked about as a leader, talked about as a very mature adult human being who's a big part of the, the, the locker room of that team and, and connects guys, right? Players from all over the country. Forget about that. There are players from Georgia, from South Florida, from California, from New York, from Minnesota, from Iowa, from Wisconsin. A lot of different upbringings, a lot of different values. Somebody's got to bring these men together, and it takes more than just a coaching staff. Apparently, Quintez Cephas is one of those guys, uh, and Zach definitely attested to that as well. I, I'm interesting to see how, how this goes on the football front and on the legal social front as well, although we probably won't talk about uh, the social, legal, cultural side of this nearly as much. I'm excited and interested to follow along, though. Brewers are back tonight. They were off last night, and Christian Yelich. Uh, is back as well. He's finally rejoining the lineup after missing some time last week, which is, weirdly enough, when the Brewers actually started to win uh, after that Cubs series, post that Cubs weekend sweep they suffered in Wrigley. Kane, Hura, Yelich, Braun, Grandal, Moustakis, Pena, Perez, and Anderson. Uh, starting tonight, uh, Christian Yelich hitting third, Keston Hura actually hitting second uh, tonight. Craig Council never afraid to tinker with that lineup, and I do like keeping Manny Pena in the lineup. As far as I'm concerned, Manny Pena can be the starting catcher and and Grandal can be the starting first baseman until Manny Pena stops hitting the ball. Truthfully, why not? Been a hot bat. He's been a consistent bat. Keep him in there until he cools down. I, I like this lineup tonight. I'm interested to see how it goes. Christian Yelich is back. Brewers are back. Twins and Brewers were both off yesterday. This is a very meaningful series for both of them. And you just have to look at the standings, right? Now, the Minnesota Twins were runaway favorites uh, in that central division. For the first half of the season and a little bit post All-Star break as well. Well, the Cleveland Indians have played their way back into it, actually winning three of four this weekend and taking a lead in that division. They're a half game up. 
They're half game up. They're eight and two in their last ten games, including winning winning three of four at at Target Field this weekend. And the Twins are saying, "Holy cow, what happened? Holy cow, what happened?" Cleveland traded away Trevor Bauer. Uh, they got worse in the starting pitching department, and they have continued to play well. And they took three of four uh, to take the division lead away from Minnesota. They need these games badly. The Brewers need these games badly as well. Because in the central standings, the Brewers are are two and a half games back behind both the Cardinals and the Cubs. You look at the wild card, both of these teams are are in close races. Okay, The Twins uh, have a, are, are in that first wild card spot. The Brewers are in third. They're only a half game back. You can't really afford to start falling. If you're either team, if you're the Twins or the Brewers, you can't. You just can't lose series. You can't lose games. You have to be on the up and up, so to speak, for the rest of the season. They both need both of these games. I don't think a split is going to satisfy the Brewers or the Twins. This is a uh, two teams that need wins in the worst way. Now the Brewers were off yesterday. They have an off day on Thursday, and they have an off day on next Thursday. The Twins had yesterday off, but previously had not been off since July 29th. They played a lot of games. Uh, and they will play without an off day until next Thursday as well. So the Brewers have the advantage of rest on their side and and the advantage of knowing that rest is on the way in two days, just like they have the advantage of rest from yesterday. Twins fans are hyped right now. I was impressed. I was at Target Field on Saturday. It was actually the one game of the four-game series that the Twins were able to win. And, and following a two-hour rain delay, a game that didn't start until after 8 o'clock, and a game that didn't finish until after 11 Target Field was pretty damn full. Now, I'm not saying the third level was packed, that there were people sitting up in the nose-nose bleeds. But the first level was full. A lot of people in the second level. A lot of people bumming around the stadium. Not a lot of people left. Not a lot of fans took off after or during that rain delay. I, I think the Twins fandom is is ignited right now, and they are in the heat of a pennant race. And I think this team is feeling that. I think this this coaching staff and that, that general manager is feeling it, although I would have liked to see, if, if I was a Twins fan, which I'm not, I'm pretty uninvested in the Twins, I would have liked to see them go get a pitcher, go get a, a, a lights-out closer or a reliever, something. They didn't really do a whole lot. Now, the Twins do have the advantage of a very weak schedule down the stretch. After this two-game set with Milwaukee, they play the Rangers, the White Sox, the Tigers, the White Sox, the Tigers... Now, they do have three against Boston, who is not the team they were last year. And they have six games against Cleveland tucked in the final couple of weeks. But other than that, Kansas City, Detroit, Kansas City, White Sox, a lot of easy opponents. Post-All-Star break, the Twins have the easiest schedule in Major League Baseball. So there's definitely wins for them on the board. And the Twins would like to start by taking both of these games in Milwaukee, as the Brewers need them very, very badly. Both teams trying to stay in the division race, in the wild card race. And that starts tonight. Christian Yelich rejoins the lineup. 6.30 pregame. First pitch will be just after 7 o'clock. Be back to talk about it tomorrow as well as preview uh, the preseason game on Thursday. We're going to see a lot of starters play. we got a lot to talk about tomorrow. Same time, same place. I'll talk to you then.